World's Finest Podcast, Episode 11. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Hello. How are you? Well, let's just say it's been a week to forget. Yeah. Uh, like I told you over the over private message, my dog died last uh, uh, a few days ago, and you know I had to bury him, and that was just loads and loads of fun, let me tell you. Uh, and I had a really really crappy week at work, being basically yelled at by every one of my supervisors over something that was so trivial it doesn't bear repeating. And, yeah, you know, just, I'm, it's a week that I'm glad is over because I have Anime Week in Atlanta coming up this weekend. Yay! <laughs> Are you uh, going to be covering it for the site as you have in the past? I will try, actually. I'm, I'm planning on taking my laptop with me and just, you know, writing stuff as I go along. That way I, don't ha- I won't forget anything. So if I, if I decide to take my laptop with me, I'm, you know, the thing is, it's a $1,200 piece of machinery, and I'm, I'm scared to death to take it out with me yeah. to anywhere but school. So, but we'll, you know, we'll see. And uh, what do you have planned for that weekend? For AWA? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I've got a uh, g- couple of video game tournaments. Uh, I entered the music video contest with part of the Symphony and Anime Talica ah, uh, that's project. that's what I was getting at. When are we going to see that, sir? Oh, the second part? Yes. Uh, very soon. I am, right. I am probably 75% done with it, with the second part, and... Uh, it should be up, hopefully, within, within at most, three weeks. Cool. Very cool. I can't wait for that, because that first part is just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I took the uh, third, you know, it was, a, it was basically a, a three-part video, and I, take, I took the third part, the Master of Puppets video, and entered it, entered in the contest. So we'll see if I do well in that. For uh, for those of you that don't know what James and I are talking about, go to earth2.net. Remember, that's earth-2.net. And on the left-hand side, there's a whole bunch of links. There's ones that say, uh, is it videos, James? Is that what it yeah, says? Yeah, it's videos. Click there and look for the one by James called, uh, what, what was it again, James? Symphony and Anime Talica. Right, and... The the first part of this of this video James made is just a freaking masterpiece. I mean, wow! <laughs> How long was it? Because it, twenty one it minutes. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't and feel that long either. And the music completely jibes with the with the with the with the animation you got going on. Oh my god! Yes, yeah, so I, tight. I I appreciate it. And, and like I, I told you before, it took me three months to make it, and just knowing that I. Th- you know, I'm my worst critic. I hate everything I do, basically, <laughs> except for WFP, of course. <laughs> um, but even I was just overall 100% pleased with how it came out. So I'm hoping that hopefully I'll win, I'll win one of the awards at the, at the convention. That'd be cool. That'd be very cool. What else do you have planned for that weekend, then? Uh, probably watch some, you know, go to the, some uh, panels. Like I did, I, there was a Dark Horse panel last year that was really, really cool. So, if they if they do another panel this year, I will absolutely go to that. So, 
you know, it's a convention. You want to you want to go as many panels as possible because that's that's I think that's the number one reason you should go to a, a convention like that because you get to hear from the industry, be it anime, comic books, whatever. It doesn't matter. So it's and it's really cool to hear their insight. And but I will be going to the the you know, video rooms just to see stuff that I I want to see but haven't had the chance to for lack of money, time, you know, the usual stuff. But uh, it'll be a full weekend. I'll be I'll I'll get roughly eight hours of sleep the whole weekend, <laughs> <laughs> if that. Yeah, but you know I've I've gone to cons, many cons, as you know, and mm-hmm. you know that is about the amount of sleep you get over the whole weekend. But it's 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 so fun. I mean, at the end of it, yeah, you're drained, but it's kind of a good kind of drain. Yeah, it's like you're like, wow! I got to talk to a lot of people. I got to see a lot of cool stuff. I I bought some stuff. I participated in this. I mean, it's it's conventions are just wild rides. No matter what kind of conventions they are, comic book, anime, video game conventions, Star Trek ones, baseball conventions. I mean, they're just it's just all energy from from start to finish. And you feel and you feel really sad after it's over. Yeah, because you have to like, oh man, I have to wait another three hundred and sixty two days. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, every year when Jen and I are done with uh, Wizard World Chicago, mm-hmm. I'm, okay, you know, I'm looking forward to the next year uh, either, because I never know if we're always, I never know if we're going to hit Wizard World Philly each year. That's sort of just something we do if the money's available to us. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put that out of my head, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to be a full year until the next one. So I'm looking forward to the next con, but like you said, it's like I have to wait a whole damn year for that. <laughs> and I, I always want, you know, if I could, if if I could somehow make, you know, Earth2.net like a full-time job, like, you know, if our readership and listenership just skyrocketed and advertisers were basically paying for the site, you know, yeah. I would use that money to go to as many conventions, not just comic book conventions, but anime conventions, manga conventions, video game conventions, just any kind of conventions I could to cover for the site. And, hell, on a, on a personal level, because, one, I like to travel, and, two, conventions are just freaking cool. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's any investors out there who would like to send me on my convention world tour <laughs> and would like to support earth2.net you can send money to donations at earth2.net that's donations at earth-number2.net via paypal thank you <laughs> awesome yes so do you want to get to some email yeah why not okay we got a bunch of email here very good let me set a few things aside we love all you people who send us emails. Oh, we really do. Yes, we do. Now, we've got the first four emails we have here are all from our very good friend, Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've ever said his name on the show. I should. Uh, Paramonte. I believe it's pronounced Paramonte. So thank mm-hmm. you, Nicholas. But I'm going to go through these right here. In this first one, the burning question is, Mike, listening to the show, we all know you don't like the first Batman film. Why? (laughs) Was it from A, that it focuses too much on the Joker and not the Dark Knight, or B, that it was too over-the-top? The the -the over-the-topness is part of it. Um, I love Tim Burton. I think he's an absolute genius. As do I. He's my favorite director right now in existence. Yeah. In all honesty, if Tim Burton had never made Edward Scissorhands, I do not believe I would be... It sounds weird calling myself a writer because I don't write as much as I should, um, but I, I'm, I'm 99% sure I wouldn't be a writer. When I first saw Edward Scissorhands, I saw it with my mom, and we were walking out of the theater, and the ending of that movie is so goddamn depressing. 
absolutely oh, God, depressing. Yes. And I thought to myself, I, I clearly remember this, and I don't have many memories at all, um, but I clearly remember walking out of the theater and thinking to myself, you know, if I ever become a writer, I swear I'll never write anything that depressing. And years later, when I would decide that writing was what I wanted to do with my life, um, it turns out pretty much all my stories end in that depressing manner. <laughs> so I feel that even though I said I didn't want to be influenced by that, I think I ultimately was because I saw merit in ending a film on a down note. Now, that said, as much as I respect Tim Burton and as much as I love him and I would absolutely just love to just say, hey, dude, thank you, not all of his films are gems. And I think Batman is one of those that isn't a gem. Did it get some things right? Yes, it did. It set the dark tone that Batman should have. It set the tone that this cartoon would have. If it weren't for the Batman movie, there would not be a Batman the Animated Series. Plain as day. Yep. If there was still a Batman the Animated Series, it I do not believe it would be as dark as we know it. It would I don't think it would have been as lighthearted as like the Super Friends stuff. You know, you know, Batman and Robin meeting Scooby Doo like he was in the seventies. <laughs> I don't think yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I don't think it would be that, but I, I it would definitely be not we wouldn't have this full universe. Let's just put it that way. The show, if, if, if it didn't have the tone that it had, again, inspired by the movie, we wouldn't have this full DCAU. So I respect that. I respect that the film did that. But there's a lot of things that the film did wrong, and I'm not going to get into them right here because uh, James, myself, and Ian, we do have something planned for the future, and I have uh, other things planned for the future uh, just to talk about this movie. Um, but one of the things I will say is that a lot of people rag on Joel Schumacher, and they should, for the crappiness that he brought to the last two films in that uh, four-film cycle, okay? But, you know, if you look at Tim Burton's first Batman film, a lot of the stuff Schumacher was doing was in that first film. You know, Schumacher's bringing all the, the color and the and the bounciness and kind of just... I don't know, just almost like a live-action cartoon to the screen. That's what he was doing. But if you look at Burton's film, all that stuff is there. All, all Joel Schumacher did was brighten it up. Amplify it. That's pretty much it. But Burton laid the groundwork for what Schumacher did. So if you're going to rag on Schumacher, and you should, you <laughs> really have to look at what Tim Burton set up. Because all Schumacher did was pick up the ball and run with it. So there's that. There's other pretty big things that they got wrong with the characters. Um, I'm not getting into the Jack Napier thing. Not right now, I mean. Again, when these other projects come up with James, myself, and Ian, and the, my, my own personal project. As well as my personal project. Right. We will, you know, the, the, these things will be addressed. But, yeah, it, it just boils down to the fact that I think Burton, I don't know, he just, he just, didn't get a lot of it right is really what it boils down to. A lot of it is just too over the top, as Nick suggested here with his second option. So, sorry if that was a bit rambling, but I'm trying not to spoil what's coming up in the somewhat, possibly, maybe near future. <laughs> okay, so in the next one, Nick says, Your review of Mudslide was great. Thank you, by the way. Tops the Robin's Reckoning review. Hmm. 
Taking, talking about the dark vibes in the episode was excellent. It's a shame you guys overlook this in your review of The Laughing Fish. It has that creepy vibe from beginning to end with the music, Mark Hamill's performance, and the scenes of the victims of Joker's laughing gas, especially when Francis's face bursts into laughter. The best elements for a Joker episode. And then he says, P.S., in Mudslide, Bates made a move to stop the fight at the end, but Clayface yells at her, do you want the real Matt Hagen or this? She caves in, replying no, and lets Hagen attempt to smother Batman. I disagree with that. I don't think she says no. I I think she sits there in silence. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she does, too. I really don't remember her saying anything, or even her lips moving. I just think she's sitting there uh, mortified by what she's seeing. And I think she just covers her face with her hands. Yeah, I mean... Like she's going to cry. Maybe I have to watch it again and, and see if she says no, but I really don't think she does. Um, James, do you want to talk about this laughing fish thing where he says, you know, we weren't really picking up on the dark vibes in that episode? Because there's always the big controversy about what we scored the laughing fish. Well, I don't know. I, I guess in theory I could agree, but then there's there's things like the swordfish missile. That, you know, that, that doesn't really strike me as creepy. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that happened in that, that episode, though, uh, because they're just they're fleeting from my mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a while since we covered that one. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm, unfortunately, I, I, I feel like I should have been more, you know, more well prepared for, for, for this because, I know, you know, that might be our most controversial episode to date. Absolutely. In terms of scoring. Right. I mean, we still get some uh, complaints about what we scored uh, Christmas with the Joker. Mm-hmm. But even people who like that one usually acknowledge that it's not, the, it's not the best Joker episode. So at least on that, we all agree. But with The Laughing Fish, a lot of people claim that's like the best Joker episode. And oh, my God, how do we not give it an 11 out of 10 you know, again, we, we've said it before and we'll say it again. Down the line, we are going to reevaluate some of these scores. Absolutely. And maybe this one will go up. Maybe it'll go down. Maybe it'll stay the <laughs> same. We'll see. But, yeah, you know, our initial review, as of right now, it has to stand. You know, there were some very good things in that episode. The fact that they called back to what uh, uh, that the perfume that Harley sprayed on Francis. That was a really cool thing. Because mm-hmm. you think it's just a one-off thing and, oh, no, it comes back. Batman's reaction to this. Get that man to a hospital now! You know, there's some really great stuff, but overall, the episode, mm, I don't know, just didn't do it for me. But, you know, that since it's such a controversial episode, you know, we're, that's just going to be one of those ones we have to go back and look at. Absolutely. And that, you know, that said, we should really put a call out there and say, you know, if there's any episode that you feel we scored too high or we scored too low, write in. Remember, our email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And uh, let us know. Say, hey, I totally disagree with you, and here's why I disagree with you. We'll read your email on the air. You know, Maybe you can go to the forums and post your thoughts there, and we can start some sort of dialogue. And that may cause us to reevaluate our score down the line. So, yeah, so you never know. Right, definitely don't feel like you can't write into the show, because as you see, we go through a ton of emails in every episode. We do everything we can to read every email we get on the air. So write in and let us know your thoughts. Okay, again, another one from Nick. Um, I'm not going to read this this whole email from Nick, but he basically says that he and his brother have been trying to get another podcast off the ground called Blazing Geeks. And um, I've had the chance to listen to one of their episodes, and... I liked what I heard. It was it was a pretty decent show. I didn't agree with all of their opinions. They were reviewing, um, what were they talking about? 
I don't remember what movie they were talking about specifically, but at one point they were talking about how a lot of people don't go to the theaters nowadays because, you know, people are talking, cell phones are going off, babies are crying, that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And one of the hosts, I think it was Nick himself, had said, you know, there's two things you can do. First off, if you see, like, teenagers, don't sit next to them because chances are those are going to be the people that are talking. That's good advice. Oh, amen. Right. But the second bit that I didn't agree with was he had said that if people are talking, just get up and leave. And well, I have to disagree with that because I don't pay $10 absolutely. to have someone talk, add their own goddamn commentary to a movie only to leave partway through it and catch a later show. If I'm seeing a 7 o'clock show, I'm seeing a 7 o'clock show because that was the only show I could see. So sitting around for another two hours to see the rest of that picture just doesn't work for me. So I disagreed with that, but that's a sign of a good show, I think. You don't want to agree with everything the hosts say. You want to disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, as I said just a few seconds ago, it starts a dialogue between you and the host. Um, and he does say in this email that he and his brother very soon are going to be doing a Smallville recap show and uh, later on reviews of the, uh, or a review of the season seven premiere of, of Smallville. So yeah, if you guys want to check out this podcast, I would just suggest uh, that you Google Blazing Geeks. And uh, look for their website. Unfortunately, he didn't provide it to me, so I do I cannot tell you guys uh, exactly where to go. I do know it's on iTunes, but I think there might have been only like one episode in the uh, in the iTunes store. So I would definitely suggest looking on Google instead. Let's see. And then the last one from Nick. Thank you, Nick, for writing in so much. He <laughs> says uh, in the review of Mudslide, you say uh, this is directed at me. Um, <clears throat> why does Batman stop the treatment? And my answer to that would be is that the isotope was stolen from Wayne Enterprises, and like you said in the first two episodes of World's Finest Podcast, is that Batman can never bend the rules. He has to uphold the law even if the intentions were good. What do you think about that, James? Because by stopping the treatment, he essentially killed Matt Hagen. Did he know that that was the treatment? I can't remember. Well, off the top of my head. I mean, Did he know that that was a treatment to he, cure him? He knew Hagen was dying. He, he met him on the street, and he saw that Hagen was breaking up. He knew that that isotope was stolen, so it fits to reason that Batman, being a smart fellow, could, could deduce that that isotope could potentially stabilize Hagen's condition. And he was laying there on a table when Batman found him, receiving a treatment... Hagen was talking about how he felt it working and all this and that. And then all of a sudden, Batman turns the machine off. And they yell at him. They're like, no, no, turn it back on. And he just is like, no. So he, he clearly knew that this thing was going to save Hagen's life. And he didn't let it happen. Yeah, I guess there's always the possibility that, you know, it was that unstable isotope could maybe make him even, even worse off than he was or more powerful. But, but overall, yeah, I got to disagree here. That that was really just a stupid move on Wayne's part. Yeah, because I honestly think that had Hagen received the treatment and gone back to normal, he just would have went back to acting. Remember, he doesn't want this life. It was thrust on him. Exactly. He doesn't want this at all. Any of the crimes he's committing, he's committing either out of revenge, as he did in the uh, in. Uh, feet of, was it Feet of Clay? Was that the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feet of Clay. Um, that was just a straight-up revenge story. And then in this one, all the stuff he was stealing was to save his life. That's it. He wasn't robbing banks. 
And he anything he does in between is just because he's really pissed off at the world. Right, exactly. If he's if he's throwing fits or hurting people that get in his way, it's, again, because he has every right to feel pissed off. Does he, has, does he have a right to hurt people and break stuff? No. But he still, as you just said, James, has a right to be very pissed off. So he's not just a guy that's going to go robbing a bank to rob a bank. He's doing everything he's doing for a very specific reason. So for Batman to stop the treatment seems really silly, because I do not think Hagen would have continued being Clayface, or being a criminal. He would have gone back to acting and tried to get his life back together. With uh, a woman who loves him. Right, yeah. He could, he could have married this woman, and then lived happily ever after, after, after as, as an actor. And for all intents and purposes, after the end of this episode, we think Clayface is dead for like five, at least five years in our time. In Batman time, who knows what the timeline is, but in our time, we don't see him for five years. Clayface is dead. So, yeah, and uh, Batman killed him. Batman absolutely killed him, and that really does bother me. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next email we have is from a fellow called Josh, and he says, I just want to say my interpretation of seeing Killer Croc, he's talking about um, Almost Got Him. My interpretation of seeing Killer Croc in the background getting into a fight is that this is when Batman quote-unquote replaces him. In other words, up until this point, it is actually Killer Croc sitting at the rogue's card table, but after the background fight, we have Batman impersonating Killer Croc, and thus Batman slash Crocs, I throw a rock at him. I have always believed this, and I even think Tim refers to it as such in the commentary for the episode. He does not, by the way. As to though, uh, as to those who say that Batman would not have replaced Croc had Ivy not kicked his chair out, I say he's Batman. He would have thought of another way to replace Croc. Um, this was addressed pretty much at, in length at the Earth2.net forums. Um, do you want to add anything to that, James? Well, I mean, what's what's the what if? I mean, if he if that if if that plan didn't work, what was the plan? The plan B? Well, because I can't think of I can't think of anything. If you remember at the Earth2.net forums, I initially disagreed with Josh. I said there's no way. There's a, he had to be Croc from the beginning. But then as I thought about it, it dawned on me that Batman didn't necessarily need to be at that table because the Joker is so egotistical. He would have told his story. All along, that's what this this whole episode was about. Is about the Joker trying to prove that he's the better criminal. He's the best criminal out of all of them. Mm-hmm. So he was going to tell his story no matter what. So Croc slash Batman didn't really need to be at the table to poke and prod him in the right direction. The Joker was going to say it nonetheless. So Batman could have been hanging in the rafters. So the only reason Batman was at that table was to have that dramatic Mexican standoff. So honestly... I'm not sure I agree with Josh that Batman replaced him in the background, but I do agree that it's a possibility, and that had he not found a way to replace him, it it wouldn't have mattered because he still would have found out where Catwoman was just by lurking in the shadows. Yeah, Joker. Joker is the most arrogant of all of Batman's villains. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you guys want to see, you know, a more detailed. Uh, my, my more detailed thoughts, go to earth2.net. Again, that's earth-number2.net. And on the left-hand side of the page, you'll see a link that says forums. Click that, go into the forums, look for the section that says World's Finest Podcast, and you dig through there, and you'll see the back and forth Josh and I had. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to read this on the air to tease people to go to the forums. <laughs> join. Join. <laughs> yes. You are compelled to join. <laughs> 
this email is from Matthew Kirkpatrick, and he says, Hey, guys, I'm a huge fan of the th- show. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Been listening since day one. Since Batman the Animated Series is by far my favorite animated show, I'm quite pleased you started off with this one. I don't know what he's talking about there. Starting off with what? With with the show, I guess. Uh, oh, the DC, with the, the PCAU. Oh, like we didn't start with the Justice League first. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. About your discussion about Harvey coming in all sad about Batman's death. Uh, in this, he's referring to um, the man who killed Batman. First off, it's my personal opinion that Harvey doesn't like Batman's style, but he commends his work. Harvey just thinks he should be wearing a badge instead of a mask. So I think it's quite possible that he would realize that the Gotham PD just lost their best ally. Even if you don't buy that, we all know that Bullock has great admiration for Gordon. And Gordon obviously had great admiration for Batman. So out of respect for Gordon, at the least, I think Harvey would be somewhat saddened by Batman's seemingly demise. All in all, this is wonderful stuff, and I appreciate your guys' effort and hard work in going through these episodes and honestly assessing the good and bad. Keep it up, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, when I said that I was a little perturbed by Harvey's reaction, I really, really didn't mean to imply that I thought he'd be jumping up and down dancing, the bat is dead, the bat is dead, woo-hoo-hoo. It just, his reaction seemed a little too emotional, is all I was trying to get across. Yeah, because if you go back and watch A Bullet for Bullock, which is an episode we will be reviewing uh, pretty shortly down the line, that is that is the best look at the Bullock-Batman dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, by far. So, you know, go watch that episode uh, and see... And you can see really how it's it should be pulled off, but it, you know it wasn't bad in uh, the man who killed Batman. It was like you said, it was just too emotional. Yeah, it was it was a little out of left field. I mean, I think had he not come out there hat in hand and head hung, I, it it would have come off a little uh, more characteristic of Bullock if he came in and was like Montoya. I got some bad news. You know, we we think the Batman's dead. Like that would yeah, seem more to- like with a toothpick still in his mouth and the hat still on. Right, but with him holding his hat and looking down, and it seems like he's almost on the verge of tears. That's not really Harvey Bullock. So, again, I, I think I think Matthew's right when he says that there's some admiration there, despite you know the fact that they're always butting heads. But I still got to say, I think it was too emotional. Okay, next we have a couple from Chris McEvoy. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I recently found your podcast. I had a bunch of notes on my palm from the show and was going to put out a handy base file but never got around to it. I've noticed that you guys discuss things I never noticed and don't bring up some of the things I've noticed. So I thought I'd send you guys my notes. If you find, if you find things you'd like to use in the show, great. So what he's done here, basically, is he's created a portable wiki for Palm Pilots. So, like, let's say you're sitting on your train, you know, and you're riding to work, right? And you could download this file beforehand and read all these notes about Batman the Animated Series and Superman and Gotham Knights and all that. It's a really cool thing. I'm not going to read all of his notes here because he eventually gets into episodes that we haven't even covered yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go that far. Um, but I may, if uh, Chris doesn't mind, post these at the forum. Okay, now this next one from Chris, this one's a little longer, but I really appreciate this email because do you remember when we were talking about Moon of the Wolf, James? We questioned mm-hmm. whether um, someone could 
what, what was that thing that was going on with Milo and Romulus? That where Milo was saying he couldn't cure the full, or he couldn't cure half the yes. disease, but he could cure the full thing. Yeah. And we questioned. How can we forget? Right. We questioned whether that was medically sound or not. Well, it turns out Chris is a doctor. So he can address this. So I'm going to read this whole email here. He says, first let me say, I have not laid up nights thinking about this episode. Thank God, considering this one sucks. But I'm still getting caught up on back episodes. So I just listened to your World's Weakest Episodes episode to World's Finest Podcast and heard your plea on Moon of the Wolf for a doctor slash science type to answer how you can treat a disease in advanced stage but not in early stage. You can't. Sort of. An exception would be, say, severe arthritis. It's difficult to treat and often may progress. By the way, I'm a pediatrician, so I don't see adult patients, so guess how often I actually see arthritis. (laughs) If it's advanced enough, you can do a hip replacement, but that has its own issues. Sure, a hip replacement works for early arthritis. You just never use it because the risk isn't worth the benefit, which makes you wonder what the cure entails. Here's my interpretation. Totally unsupported on screen, but I think it fits. First, Romulus, by the way, the historic founder of the city of Rome, who was raised by a wolf, figured, hey, this stuff gave me the edge I needed, doesn't seem to have a downside, and this gets me a lot of sponsors. So maybe he kept taking it, and it was the uh, commute... James pronounced that for me. Communicable? Uh, Cumulative? A cumulative? Cumulative, there we go. Effect that <laughs> triggered his transformation. Although p- the pollution was a good theory, too. Pollution? I don't know what he's talking about with pollution oh, there. When I talked about how the moon, he could never see the moon because the, the city was always polluted. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> Enter Milo. He doesn't have a cure, but he keeps saying that he does to get, to get what he needs from Romulus. He had him keep taking the stuff either to give him more wolf time so he could do more for Milo, or to try to turn him into a wolf without intelligence so he wouldn't hassle Milo for a cure. <laughs> While Romulus has more to lose, Milo could still be exposed and go to jail with this. The vial that smashed may well have been either something that would tip Romulus into feralness permanently, probably with the loss of intelligence so he wouldn't come after Milo, or just plain old poison. Given that when they had bats unconscious, they they staked him out for gladiatorial combat in the amphitheater, another nod to the historic Romulus, rather than just shooting him, the poison may have been too simple for Milo's taste. Then he continues, Oh, and with the Jack Napier thing, take a look at the list of Easter eggs I sent you, which I mentioned in the last email that he sent us. There's one on Beware the Creeper, where Jack Ryder, who of course is the Creeper, mentions multiple aliases, I'm assuming he means for the Joker, including Jack Napier, which suggests to me that no one does truly know Joker's name, but that some people mistakenly think his alias of Jack Napier is his true name. So there, I like that explanation. Yes, very Um, good. Let's see. And then he finishes the email by saying, Oh, and another note on episode 7. I had watched Justice League with my daughter since she was little. She'll be three next month. And sings the Teen Titans theme, runs around yelling hi ya, uh, and says she's Hawkgirl because she has red hair like Hawkgirl. <laughs> but he says he hasn't noticed wings on her yet. And most recently, since my wife is watching the Linda Carter series with her, uh, counting the number of times Steve Trevor needs to be rescued, he's worse than Lois Lane, she spins in a circle to turn into Wonder Woman. So excellent, Chris. Excellent. We've said it before on the show. The sooner you get your kids into these characters, the sooner you can 
introduce them to comic books, and just reading in general, because that's what we need. We need more kids reading, and we need more kids reading comic books. So that's excellent that you're turning your little girl onto these characters. And thank you very much for uh, going out of your way to explain what was going on in Moon of the Wolf. Yes, we appreciate that. And it should be noted that we found out, James, remember that Moon of the Wolf is actually was actually adapted from a comic book. Yeah, it, it actually, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when you showed it to me. Yeah, I, it's an issue of Detective. I want to say three something, like three fifty something, um, three fifty seven sticking out my mind, but I don't think that's the right number. Um, but yeah, it's actually adapted from a comic. It was crazy, and right there on the cover, Batman's chained to the ground in that arena, just like he was in the episode, and the the Wolf slash Romulus is coming right at him. Yeah, it was episode or episode issue two fifty five. Oh, is that it? Yeah, okay. and. Uh, even more notable in that episode is Robin Battle's Crazy Quilt. <laughs> Gotta love the Crazy Quilt. Oh, yeah. Okay. But not really. This, <laughs> this last one is from Mike Reinhardt, and he says, uh, Mike, great podcast last week. I, I'm, I'm sure he means both of us, James. I really enjoyed it. I don't it. talk enough. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and he asks if we could give him a plug, and absolutely, Mike. He says he started an American Civil War blog on Blogger, and he says he'd be honored if we would mention it on the podcast. So if you guys, if anybody out there is interested in the American Civil War, grab a pen. I'm going to give you a second here. Grab a pen. Grab that History pen. buffs like me. <laughs> and also some paper. Don't forget that paper unless you're going to write it on your hands. The web address is http colon slash 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 madness mike m-a-d-n-e-s-s-m-i-k-e dot blogspot dot com. I'm gonna I'm gonna read that back just in case I screwed it up the first time. It's M A D N E S S Mike M I K E dot blogspot B L O G S P O T dot com. When this episode airs, I'll do everything I can to remember to put a link to that blog in the show notes. And he says thank you and signs it Mike. So there you go Mike and there you go anybody who's interested in the Civil War. You can go check that out right there. First episode today is Harley and Ivy, and in this episode, uh, Harley Quinn has basically been kicked out of Joker's gang, and after screwing up something that wasn't even really her fault during a yeah screwing during, up in quotes yeah getting she actually managed to get away from Batman, but of course Joker, being who he is, he just blames everything on her and kicks her out of the gang, and she decides to just try and make it on her own, even though she's really depressed about being kicked out of the gang, because, you know, she loves her Joker. Uh, her Mr. J. <laughs> uh, so, that was really creepy. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it was, because if, <laughs> if it had sounded good, it probably would have worried me. Uh, so anyway, she uh, decides to rob a, I believe it was a museum, and she happens upon Poison Ivy, who is trying to steal some plant toxins at the exact same time. Coincidence. <laughs> so they. Well, there's only so many museums in Gotham. Come on. I guess. You know? <laughs> I guess. So they manage to uh, get away by helping each other out, and uh, they decide to basically form a Thelma and Louise kind of duet. And that's. I think that's about it until you know Batman and Joker get back involved with it. Yeah. So, what are your opening thoughts here? I really like this one. 
because it introduces a dynamic that we never expected to see before. You know, as I've said in the past, it would make sense if they teamed up Ivy and Rachel Ghoul. That would make perfect sense. They pretty much have the same agenda. You know, it would make sense. It makes sense when they team up the Penguin, the Joker, and Two Face, as they did in the Strange Secret of, Secret of Bruce Wayne. But you never, you know, you never really think, hey, let's pair these two girls up and see how that works. And I think it works really well. Um, it's because they're so different. Exactly. I mean, you've got this little pixie who just bounces around and is basically a living cartoon character, <laughs> and you have, you know, in in Poison Ivy, you have the vamp, the femme fatale, you know, who is very... Ultra, heads- ultra feminist. Right, yeah, she's very headstrong. She doesn't need a man at all, you know. And that part of her character dates back to her first appearance, really, when she attacked Two-Face. She was only dating him to, to attack him. If if you think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you put these two together, it changes their character li- a little. Because Harley, who's always playing second fiddle to the Joker, actually gets to step into the limelight here. And Poison Ivy, who's very hard at times, uh, she kind of softens up a little when she's around Harley. And I, I really think it created a, a really fun, interesting dynamic that we see here, and then we actually get to see in future episodes, and then that even translates into some of the comic books as well. Uh, now, what are your thoughts? Because I think you disagree with me a little. Well, on no, this one. I like this episode too. I do. Um, I think first and foremost, you have to say that it's it's a social commentary on battered wife syndrome. Oh my God, yes. So that I mean that's blatant throughout the entire thing because you really feel bad for Harley. Yeah. You know she. <laughs> She tries. She tries her damnedest to help tell Joker, and things either backfire or she doesn't do them as well as Joker wants her to. And she always ends up getting slapped or beaten up or thrown out into that gar- into like a garbage can in an alleyway or somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's really sad, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, at the same time, it's a really fun episode. Like you said, you get to see this dynamic that we've never seen before. And uh, I don't know the one thing that. I think bothered me about this episode was just Poison Ivy herself. Uh, what was with her animation? Her her face? What was wrong it, with her face? I actually kind of liked her in this one. Every single time you look at her face, it's all like bulged out and like her, she, her like, I don't know, her lips are all like clenched out to the side. I don't know, it's weird. Go back and watch it. Maybe you'll see what I'm talking about. You know what? Just, I was paying more attention to the Joker's face, which is all over the place in this episode. <laughs> So maybe I didn't notice anything going on with Pam's face because the Joker's just like every time we see him, it's not as bad as like uh, Joker's Wild, but it's it's bad his, the way his face changes. If, so. if they had kept the way it started off with the, where in the beginning of the episode where his animation was how the animation was there in the car chase, that would be yeah. great because I thought right. that was some really cool animation during that car chase scene. Yeah, but at the end, it's all. It's it's flat. more angular sometimes. Yeah, it's flat. And there's there's lines in it. It's like they were over rendering it. It was really Yeah, it, it starts out good, but by the end of the episode it's like, what happened? <laughs> what happened to this guy's face? And that's that's a that's a problem that persists throughout all the episodes where the Joker is featured. It's, it's like they have a hundred different animators working on every Joker episode. Pretty pretty much so. Pretty much so. Uh um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the other another the other thing with Ivy was the the hideously bad one liners that permeated this episode, <laughs> all over the place. Uh, Such as what? I'm trying to think of the there was one that really just 
made me want to cringe. And I think it was as they were getting away from the museum. Or maybe, no, maybe it was in the Gentleman's Club. Uh, what the hell? Did, I'll never remember it. And this, bu- this bugs me because I should have written it down. The, the only one that really gets me is right at the end. It's the very last line before the girls are captured where Ivy says, No man will catch us! Yeah, that's one of them. And then, of course, Renee Montoya stops them. And it's like... We didn't see that coming a mile away. Right. I mean, because they set that up early on. I mean, Renee's there when they're robbing the museum. And Renee is the one, you know, they shoot the plant toxin at them. And Renee's like, halt or freeze or whatever she says. And then they body check her. I think I, it's Ivy, I think, completely body checks her. And she's like, ah, and just falls to the ground. And that right there sets up the fact that it's going to be Renee that catches them at the end. And it makes sense that she would be the one to catch them because, you know, this is all about the women. But that line that sets up that ending is still very cringeworthy. As much as I like this episode, because this is one of those episodes that I can just sit down and just watch for fun. Yes, and, ditto, right on that one. Right, but every time I see that episode, even when, even like when I first saw this one, when I was a kid and I wasn't analyzing them like we are now, I was, I would always go, ooh, ooh, that's bad. I, ooh, ooh. <laughs> they really <laughs> needed to tweak that line a little, so it felt like, stop, slightly. No. Yeah, it needs, it needs to feel a little more natural, but. Whatever. I mean, that's really, besides the Joker's animation, my only real gripe with this one is that one line. Going on further about their, the dynamic, uh, when they first meet in the museum, it, it's right off the bat, it's great, where Harley's like, hey, aren't you that plant girl, uh, Poison Ogie? <laughs> She's like, Ivy! Yeah. Uh, and that, that shows you right there how, how they're going to be. Again, as I said, one's the living cartoon character, always bouncy and bubbly, and even when she's sad, she's somewhat bubbly. And But then you've got Ivy, who's always, you know, almost always very stern. Like, no, oh, it's Ivy, you twit! That, that kind of thing, yeah. you know? So, again, it's just fun, you know, pairing up characters. I mean, it's it's the odd couple with women, is really what it is. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's a buddy comedy. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm glad that the producers saw how well they work together, and made more episodes like this down the line. That um, I really dig this relationship a whole hell of a lot. It's it's. I actually like this dynamic better than I like the Batman and Robin dynamic. But that's just me. I'm sure we're going to get emails about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but getting back to the relationship that we see between the Joker and Harley now. Before I say I, what before I say what I want to say, I have a quick question: Is this the first time that we've seen the abusive side of their relationship? I mean, the really abusive side. I mean, I'm sure before now we've seen him kind of get mad at Harley or whatever, but has it ever gone this far before now? No, and I think that was the point of the beginning of this episode was to show to you know for the first time, hey, this is how he treats her. Okay, now is you know I like the fact that they were commenting on those kinds of relationships because they're very very prevalent i mean oh yeah it's i mean you know you only hear about the extreme cases where you know the guy someone, ends up yeah i'm well, sorry go ahead i'm sorry i was, I was going to say where someone where the woman ends up dying right or she finally fights back and kills him or or pulls a lorena bobbitt and mutilates him you know yeah. Th- those are the times you hear about it but i mean so i was really glad, glad that they were doing what they could to somewhat educate children on this kind of of uh, 
problem uh, in society. Now, the issue I take with this is that they were playing it up for laughs. It's like this is a very serious issue here. Spousal abuse. Okay, they're not married, but it's still spousal abuse, okay? Battered battered woman syndrome, whatever you want to call it. This is still a woman who's being beaten and mentally abused by by her lover. And throughout the entire episode, they play it up for laughs. And they do it again in Mad Love. Which, which really puts an exclamation point on the Joker-Harley relationship. So, I, I don't know, that kind of irks me. So I guess earlier when I said I only had two gripes with this episode, I was wrong, because I kind of forgot about this one until now. But, do you see what I'm saying there, James? Uh, it's, like, it's, it's like, I like the fact that they were trying to show kids that, look, this goes on in the world, and... You know, we want to educate you so you don't do this when you're older. Or if you're a woman, you don't have to suffer through this. But then at the same time, they make it look funny. Like, oh, ho, ho, the Joker threw Harley on her butt and then threw his purse, threw her purse at her. Ho, 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 and she's still pining over him and making little faces in the salad. Ho, ho, ho. It's not funny. Now, they, they couldn't make this a hardcore, you know, serious episode and put it on the Hallmark Channel. They couldn't do something like that. But... I don't know. That that does bother me. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's why because it, maybe they couldn't do the the Ivy Harley dynamic as well without having a few laughs in there. I don't know. Yeah. But I do. I definitely see where you're coming from there. On a lighter note, how about uh, <laughs> how about uh, women not wearing any pants in a kids' cartoon? Oh my God! Yes, more of that, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. Woo. That was that was out of nowhere, wasn't it? Yeah, they're just wearing those dress shirts, and it's like, okay, I don't mind this at all. My attention just, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, skyrocketed. Pretty much so. Not the only thing. <laughs> yeah, waiting for you to say something there. Bump, bump. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. In this episode, they they really took a lot of risk, and that's nothing new for this show. We know that this show, these producers are always taking risks. But this one, again, steps it up. They're tackling spousal abuse. And then we have two women, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, living together. And they're walking around in their underwear and just shirts, just having girl time, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, there, there's a lot going on in this episode that you just kind of, that, that you, you know, you have to read into, but you don't have to read that deeply into. Yeah, it's blatant. <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. Um, you know... And what I, you know, there's a, there's just a lot of little things I do like about this episode. Like, the guys in the car, when they, the, that other car with the three guys that oh, pull yeah. up next to the girls, you know, they're, they're all like, hey ladies, and then the, the girls are like, don't you, the kissy noises and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're catcalling them, and the girls are like, don't you know that's not how you speak to a lady? And he's like, what are you gonna do, spank us? And he starts smacking his ass! That's another thing they kind of took a risk with there. Right. It's, like, so hilarious that they just got away with that and that they just even chanced to throw it in. And what makes it even funnier is that two of the guys in the car are Bruce Tim and, I think, Eric Radomski. The, <laughs> the driver and the blonde guy in the center, the one who ends up leaning on the door, those are, you know, Bruce Tim and, like I said, Eric Radomski. So it's even funnier that it's not their voices, but it's their models. <laughs> that, that were used. So yeah, and then the fact that they, that the car gets blown up, that the girls just happen to have in that Joker fashion a bazooka in the back <laughs> to blow up the car. I mean, it's it's just 
I don't. It's just a fun little element to add to this episode that really does kind of lighten it up. Well, and that's kind of like what I was maybe going to say earlier is about the uh, the dynamic and there having to be joking little instances like that. Maybe it wouldn't have worked as well without stuff like that. Another villain tries to drown Batman. Yeah, and this time, Batman should be dead. Yeah, he should. Um, I, I think they dropped him in a little thing called Toxic Waste. Hello? You know, Batman wore a mask to that, uh, to, to, to that hideout for a reason. It's a Toxic Waste dump. Yet, oh, he just ends up in Toxic Waste with no ill effects. I mean, if movies and TV have taught me anything, it's that he should have turned into the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I love that movie. I love that movie so oh, the, much. The trauma. Yes. Or, oh God, uh, I don't even know. I've watched that movie one time and just, it, I don't know. Maybe it's the dog getting mutilated that I, <laughs> I hate about it so much. But <laughs> oh yeah, trauma films just—they can't be accurately described. You have to watch them. Yeah, and it's like anybody who has listened to Earth to Death, not the show, would probably is probably going, whoa, whoa, whoa how can Mike like? the trauma films, but he doesn't like something like Saw. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I, I think it's because the, the trauma films, the original Toxic Avenger, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's supposed exactly. to be all tongue-in-cheek. But when you got Saw, it's supposed to be like, oh, we're deep and dark and serious. Look at us. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know? You should have been better in your life. You should have done this. You should have done that. Ooh, you're going to die now. Right. I think that's the difference here. I mean, in Toxic Avenger, there's a dweeb wearing a freaking ballerina tutu who falls out of a window into a truck filled with toxic waste, and he becomes a mop-wielding superhero, for God's sakes. That's hilarious. Yes, it's just as gory, if not more gory, than any of the Saw movies, all of the Saw movies combined. But still, it's it's so it doesn't take itself seriously, and that's the difference there. So uh, yes, sorry for that little aside, but oh, we had to go on that rant there. <laughs> pretty much so, but yeah, Batman going into that toxic waste is one of those things where you're like, mm, 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 no, I don't think so, Batman. You're uh, you're dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're either melted or you're hideously disfigured, like all the villains you fight every day. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would have been gutsy. Turn him into Clayface for half an episode. <laughs> and then just Robin happens to have a cure at the end, or Batman's got something in his belt, I don't know. Alfred does something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he just Batman just goes home and he's normal, because he's Batman, you know? Well, hell, he can make black eyes disappear after, <laughs> after about eight hours or so. <laughs> Pretty much so. So, yeah, he can cure any cancers and melted skin you get from toxic waste, I guess. Um, but while we're on the subject of Batman, now, I didn't time it, but I'm convinced that he's in this episode for less than five minutes. He's he there in the be. chase scene. He shows up after the cars with the three guys gets blown up. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up to the hideout. I think we see him maybe once in the, we see him once in the cave before then. Yep. But I think if you add it up, it's less than five minutes. It's like, where's Batman in this episode? And again, if you remember in the past, the episodes that I've liked the most, like, um, Shoot, what was the one with Stromwell? Where he gets... I, I knew you were going to say that one, and I can't ever remember the name of the episode. Right, but you know which one I'm talking about, where yeah. Batman uh, takes him to the drug clinic and all this and that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about, right? And his brother has right. lost a leg. Yeah, it's like Batman's hardly in that one. And and I like that one a lot because it's it's not just following Batman as he you know goes on this action adventure punching people. We're following different people as they go on their own adventures, and Batman just happens to show up from time to time. That is risky, and I give them a lot of credit for that. And it changes the show. 
as always, as is my shtick, I always have like certain little questions, little things I gotta point out that just are inexplicably there. Okay. Now, when the Joker's goons show up to Pamela's hideout, remember they're like sitting at the table eating. Mm-hmm. They're eating meat. Meat. Yes. Where did they get that? I don't know. It's clearly established that Pam is a vegan, just based on you know the dinner she had served Harley earlier in the episode, and you which know, kind of is weird to begin with that she's a vegan. She right. only eat plants. That's what I was thinking about this. It's like okay, first off, it doesn't make sense that she's a vegan because she's eating the things that she loves. Shouldn't she be a straight up carnivore? Like, I'm not even saying an omnivore. I'm saying a carnivore, where she doesn't even eat vegetables. It's just, I want to eat meat, 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 meat. That's it. You know? So there's that aspect. But they clearly establish that she's a vegetarian or a vegan. So the fact that there would be meat there at Ivy's house just doesn't even make sense. You know the goons didn't bring their own, you know, leg of lamb or whatever they were eating there. They got it from Pam's place. And it was already cooked, too. I don't know. Maybe Joker did it just to piss Ivy off. (laughs) You never know. That's that's a good possibility, and now that you say it, I'll buy that excuse. I'll buy it that the Joker knew Pam from Arkham was, you know, a vegetarian or a vegan, and said, "Hey, let's go piss her off. We're going to bring some steaks, guys," <laughs> because it goes along with his feelings for her. We've seen in the past that he does not like her in the slightest. We've seen the relationship at Arkham Asylum before, and then when we see them in this episode, it's brutal the way he treats her. He tries to murder her right on camera. I mean, like, you know, when he grabs her yeah. face and sticks it into his lapel, he says something about, here, like, have my flower, and he gasses her, and she's all like, eh, 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 ha-ha, it doesn't work on me, sucka. And then she kicks him in the dick. <laughs> like, it's like, no, it's, it's, I mean, if you listen to the commentary, they say they cheated the angle to make it look like she kicked him in the stomach because they did it from low and from behind. Mm-hmm. But... If you like, ten seconds later, after she kicks the goons and the girls leave, the Joker's like, "Get him!" You know, yep. it's like, "Yeah, he got kicked in the boys." You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's like, well, now and and of course, uh, Mask of the Phantasm, we, he clearly gets kicked in the in the balls. Oh, does it's been a while. So what happens? I don't remember. Oh, uh, you want me to say right now? Nah, can, we'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah, it's, it's only we're not that far right? off from that one. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's like. I don't. I, I just totally dig the relationship because, unlike the other villains, you know that sort of get along with the Joker. You know, Pam doesn't even try. I mean, yeah, there was the poker game where they were all sitting at the table being pretty amicable, but they, they he, her, and him, they, they just hate each other, and they yeah. really don't hide it whenever they're together. Again, almost got him being the being the exception. Um, I, I I really like the fact that they continue that same relationship throughout the whole series. That there's just tension, tension, tension whenever those two are in the same frame together. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's just ultra brutal. It's <laughs> like, he literally just tried to murder her, and if you look at her face when he grabs her, she's shocked, because I, I don't know if she knows what's in that flower. If it's a poison, she's okay, but if it's an acid, she's done for. So that... I mean, she's legit scared when he grabs her and shoves her right into his lapel. Yeah. Uh, they're like a violent divorced couple. <laughs> yeah, it's and, a, yeah. And, and, and Harley's their kid. <laughs> Pretty much. You're right. That's exactly how this plays out. I wonder if that was something uh, uh, Paul Dini, when he wrote this episode, was thinking. He's like, okay, we have this relationship going on. 
And instead of Harley being the wife, well, actually, she'll actually be more of the abused kid. Hmm. You kind of have something there, James. Eh, I have my moments. (laughs) (laughs) This is totally random. But did you notice that when the Joker was tracing the phone call, that he had the Riddler's phone number taped to his phone? Did he? (laughs) Yeah. It's only there for like a a second. It's real brief. I think that's kind of all I have to say about this one. James, do you have anything else? I've been kind of going on and on and on about this episode. (laughs) I I didn't mean to hijack the show, but is there anything else you want to add here? Um, No, just... uh just reiterate that it's uh, it's a fun episode, but it's really really sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I, and to, for the most part, I, I really like I, I really like the way they pulled it off. Our next episode today is Shadow of the Bat, and this is a two-parter, but it can be summed up pretty quickly in that uh, James Gordon is framed for taking bribes, and he's arrested, thrown in jail, and denied bail because they fear that he's a flight risk due to the fact that some of the money that he supposedly uh, took from Rupert Thorne, of all people, was put into, like, offshore accounts. So they're thinking if he's doing that, he's he's planned a getaway. Well, Barbara, she goes to Batman asking for his help, saying, uh, you know, if you appear at this rally that we're going to have to try to get my father, uh, to try to get the city to reconsider bail for my father, I'm sure you could sway... Uh, the, the the officials, because the crowd loves you, the city loves you, and if they see that you support Jim, they'll they'll do this. Well, he can't do it. He's got he has to follow other leads. So Barbara thinks to herself, you know what? Whether Batman's there or not, he's gonna be there. So she dresses up as Batman to try to do exactly what she was asking him to do. And Robin happens to show up there too because Batman says says, "Hey, go! I can't go, but you go." So Robin and the newly dubbed Batgirl team up for the first time where they're trying to stop some crooks who were doing a drive-by. And in that moment, there's a clue that the assistant, uh, what was his name? The assistant commissioner, right? Yeah. Gil something. Gil M. I can't remember his last name. Gil Mason. Gil Mason, yeah. You know, there's a clue because before the drive-by happens, he ducks. And then everybody else ducks. So it's like, hmm, he must have known what was going to happen. Well, Things go on from there, and of course you figure out that he's in bed with Two-Face to try to take down Jim, because the whole idea is that Two-Face is consolidating the gangs under his control, and if they can get Gil in as the new commissioner, then they'll control both the police and the gangs. They'll literally be unstoppable, but of course that doesn't happen at the end, because Batman, Robin, and Batgirl all team up to save the day. That sum it up pretty well? I think so, yeah. Okay. Thoughts? Um, well, for the most part, it's a pretty good episode, or a couple of episodes. <laughs> um, I have quite a few little issues with it, but uh, I think, let's might as well just start right at the beginning. Uh, in, the, in the warehouse, uh, you have these crooks with uh, Rupert Thorne there, and Thorne bails when the cops arrive, and these these hoodlums start shooting uh, an armored car with pistols. <laughs> right from the get-go, I was like, oh, God. 
and it's not like they just shoot a couple and it's like, oh shit, they've got an armored car. They just keep shooting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, you're, you're stupid. You're not gonna win. Uh, so, and uh, you know, Batman comes along and captures Thorn with the easiest of ease, to coin a phrase. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see what happened. You know, Gordon and Mesh, or Mesh, I'm thinking of a baseball player, I don't know what, Gil Mason. <laughs> uh, Gil Mesh is a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, that's completely out of left field there. But uh, Gil Mason is a, makes his little debut there on the rooftop with uh, Gordon trying to flush Thorn out off of the roof, and, you know, there he is hanging, <laughs> hanging like any other hoodlum is. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we get the Mason debut. And then in the next scene, uh, we have uh, Ultra Win, uh, Barbara Gordon in a unitard. Nice. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, right, my biggest gripe with the first episode is, and you'll probably agree with me on this, is when after Gordon has been, you know, uh, uh, arrested and arraigned, uh, and and uh, Barbara goes and how, how does Batman get in contact with uh, Barbara? Is after he talks to Gordon through that little transmitter, right? Right. Yes. Okay, and he arrives at her house at the Gordon household, and she, they're conversing, and Barbara says, "The public respects you." So, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's uh. I know that's kind of a bone of contention with you and, and the Batman mythos. It does irk me here because, again, there's the whole Batman shouldn't be known to the general public thing. You know... Well, maybe it's just Barbara, you know, being kind of on the in because she's the daughter of the commissioner of the police. and Maybe she thinks that the public respects him. Because a lot of the policemen do? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it, it. It could be that. I mean, yeah, it, it, it does irk me... And it could be that just Barbara has her facts wrong. You know, she knows that Batman exists. She's standing there talking to the man. She's tugged on his cape before. Let go of my cape, please. You know, <laughs> One of the I greatest mean, moments ever. <laughs> I mean, so she knows he's around, but these other people, they, they, the average Joe, they're also, just like crooks, are going to think that he's just an urban legend. So to say that they respect him, I think, is wrong. But coming from Barbara... I can kind of accept it because, again, she's looking at it from someone who knows Batman and from the point of view of the commissioner's daughter. So she's got, as you said, the in with the police, and for the most part, all the police, except for mostly, you know, except for like Harvey Bullock, uh, respect what Batman's doing out there. So that's what she may be meaning there. Let's see, what did I really, really like about this episode? Oh, yes, Matches Malone. Yes! Yes, and I saw, I forgot he was in this episode, and when I saw him dressing up, I saw the little box of matches on the on his little uh, on his little vanity there. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, vanity in the back case. It's like, oh, he's gonna be matches Malone, you know. And I knew, and I and on a previous episode, I knew I mentioned that matches Malone makes an appearance mm-hmm. in the Batman animated series, and I just could not remember the episode. This yeah. is it. You know, okay. Overall, I think it's a solid two-parter. I'm glad it was a two-parter. There's no way this could have been done in just one episode. This whole story had to be two. Um, I think the first episode is much better than the second half. But 
yeah, overall, like I said, it, it's good, but I don't think, aside from, you know, the first appearance of Batgirl, I don't think it's really all that special. No, I don't either. It, if it weren't for Batgirl being in this one, it really wouldn't stand out. You know, it's it's not like, uh, remember in Vertigo, we both agreed that that episode would be subpar if it weren't for the, it being, you know, the first the appearance of Talia and, no, not the first, yeah, the first appearance of Talia and Raish and setting up what would be happening and the Demon's Quest and everything else from there. It's not as bad as that episode, but like I said, it's a good episode, just it, it just didn't feel special. I mean, this is the first appearance of Batgirl. Batgirl. This should be like some big monumental moment in the DC animated universe. It just didn't come off that way. But I don't know if you caught this, James. In the second part, and this I liked a lot, did you notice anything special about when they were fighting in the subway? Before, remember when Two-Face blows up the subway and all the water comes in? Before... Before Robin and Batgirl get there, or after? No, Robin and Batgirl get there, Matches is about to die, okay? So it's before the water comes rushing in, Mm -hmm. okay? Did you notice anything special about that when the fight ensues before Two-Face, Gil, and uh, the one goon escape? Um, Not off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, (laughs) If If you listen to the music during that scene... Which it's, I loved. I, I wanted to make a note of that. I loved the jazz swing music. That's that's my on. point. Yeah. It's reminiscent of the Adam West TV show. Think <laughs> about that. Whenever there was a fight scene, that was the kind of jazzy, upbeat music that was playing. It, it totally is. When I first, I when, I when I was sitting there, I kind of wasn't paying attention. I think I was like munching on something, and I was like, "Wait!" And then it kind of caught me. I was like, "Wait, what? Wait, wait? Am I am I watching Adam West?" And then I I looked up. And the, the music had stopped. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, maybe I was wrong. And then it came back. And I'm like, okay, this is so clearly, this episode, these episodes, pardon, are paying homage to that old series. And there's a couple of ways you can tell they're doing that. The way Batgirl's mask is, it's not all one color. It's got that front piece where it's a darker shade of blue. Mm-hmm. That's reminiscent of the old series. Um, I think her mask, and I think even Batman's mask from back then were like that, weren't they? Weren't they? Maybe. I, okay. It, it's been so long since I've seen an Adam West episode. Of yeah, Batman. It's, it's been a while, guys. So if I'm wrong about that, you know, don't don't gripe, please. But the other thing that is clearly an homage, besides the music, is the way Matches Malone tries to break into the building when he gets fried. When Two Face catches him, he climbs the side of the building. Yeah, he scales it. We don't see Batman do that in this cartoon all that often. But when you think about the fact that they're introducing Batgirl who was a big part of the old TV series, when you think about the music that we hear later on, and you think about that scene where he's scaling the building, you're like, hey, wait a minute. They're clearly respecting that old show there. And I thought, you know, our feelings for that series aside, I think that was kind of neat that they were just giving a little nod to, to that iteration of Batman. Yeah, and and I didn't make I didn't make that connection with the music, but... Like I said, I wanted, I definitely wanted to mention that at some point during our review here because I'm, I'm an unabashed, you know, swing music fan. Mm. So, and I, I immediately noticed it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Mm. I wanted, I, I actually wanted that on a CD. <laughs> that music they were playing there, I wanted on a CD or something. Yeah, it, it's so cool because it's so different from the music that we get throughout the rest of this series. I think, I think what made it stand out is that you know they're fighting. The gangsters, and it's you know it's twenties, thirties style jazz swing gangster music, mm-hmm. 
it's you know the kind of stuff you'd expect to see in a movie made around around that time about you know kind of an untouchables kind of movie. So yeah. anyway, yeah. <laughs> now I, I have I have there's something I kind of have to say about uh, Mr. Gill, the, the assistant commissioner here. Yeah, he's a slime ball. Okay, mm-hmm. first he frames. Commissioner Jim Gordon, the best cop the Gotham Police Department has ever seen. Then he stages a drive-by at a rally to try to get Jim Gordon bail, which could have potentially killed... Who knows how many people. Exactly. All these innocent people. Then, after all that, when Barbara shows up at his place to, to tell him that she's figured out that she recognizes one of the goons... And remember, she sees the goon there, and now that's when she knows that Gil's like a schmuck. Mm-hmm. Well, after that guy leaves, of course, Gil doesn't know that Barbara's on to him. He still tries to get into Barbara's panties. Oh, yeah. So he's had her father framed. Um, her father is going to die. He knows that Two-Face is going to kill him. It's just a matter of when. He knows that there is going to be an attempt made on all these innocent lives. He's trying, as I said, he's in bed with Two-Face trying to consolidate all... The, the evilness in Gotham, uh, you know, the mob and the police. He's trying to bring them together under one co- corrupt regime. And then he's trying to shag Barbara Gordon. This guy can go it, fuck himself. Oh, and then at the end of the episode, he uh, himself is going to shoot Gordon right in the head. Yeah, he wasn't going to leave that up to Two-Face or anybody else. It's like, sorry, Jim, but I have to do this. Like, whoa, what happened there? Oh, yeah, that guy's, that guy's a, a slime ball. Yeah, he can go to hell. Yeah, pretty much so. You know, as, as Garrison from South Park would say, you can go to hell, you can go to hell, you can die. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to treat Barbara Gordon like that. No, no, no. You, you don't. Um, no, Mike will have none of that. No, not at <laughs> all. Thank you very much. Now, what I thought was interesting really was the ending here where he pulls her mask off. And he figures out who she is, of course. And he's like, Barbara, had I known? And she's like, it wouldn't have mattered, blah, blah, blah. And then she saves him and the boat crashes. And then it's, you know, they, they reveal that he's in a coma, but he's been indicted anyways, just in case he wakes up. But his character never comes back. And I, I think that's a shame because they, they set up, they took a lot of time. They took two full episodes setting up this guy's character, setting up the fact that he really did like Barbara, even though he was a schmuck and a half. And then, you know, to have him know her identity, it seems like such a waste to have gone through all that to never bring him back. What do you think? I agree totally. And it's another one of those instances, as I've said so many times in the past, where, you know, the villain has the opportunity and this time seizes the opportunity mm-hmm. to find a superhero's identity. And they never follow up on it. Mm. So it is. It's a very, it's a big disappointment. Yeah. Because they could have easily done another Batgirl-centric episode, either in Batman the Animated Series or Gotham Knights, or, hell, even in Superman, because Batgirl appears in Superman with Supergirl. You know, they they could have done it where this guy came back, and maybe he was out of jail, um... Either he escaped, or he had served his time, or he pulled some strings, paid some people off. It doesn't matter. And he was going to blackmail her. We could have got another awesome two-part story where Barbara is trying to go around stopping her father from learning the truth. Oh, my God, there's so much potential in bringing that character back. There's so many stories you could tell. And they just kind of never do it. We're either to assume that he stayed in a coma forever, he died in the hospital, or he went to jail without saying anything? That last one doesn't even make sense. 
No. If you know that the commissioner's daughter is now a vigilante, you use that information to get your ass out of jail. Oh, if, yeah. if you were to bring the DA that kind of information, you're going to get a lighter sentence because now they're going to think, wait a minute, maybe Gordon really was corrupt all along because we knew he was working with vigilantes, but now his daughter is one of them. Yeah, I mean, think about it. That, that exact thing happens in um, oh, Over yeah. the Edge. When they find out, of course, it all ends up being a dream, but when they find out in that episode that Barbara was Batgirl, they, they want Jim's badge. You know, so uh, there's so much potential in that Gil character, and it really does bother me that nothing was ever done with him. Well, you know, we still got the great Over the Edge episode, so maybe if they had done it before, you know, we might not have gotten Over the Edge. Eh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I'm, what I'm saying is Jim didn't have to find out who she was, but it could have been this whole tense situation where she's trying to hide her secret because if if he finds out who she is, then he might find out who Batman is. So it, he doesn't actually have to find out, but it's just her trying to stop him from finding out. Where Over the Edge is a little different because the whole point of that is Jim already knows. Um, I have several little gripes about that. Go episode. for it. Um, first and foremost, besides you know the shooting of the armored car, uh, is... Is uh, Melissa Gilbert, the voice actress of yeah. Barbara Gordon? There are several instances in this episode where I call her voice acting talent into question, and I really do not like to do that. Okay. Maybe it was just this script. I don't know. But there were several instances where I just I just wanted to bury my head in my hands because the the acting was not really good. the The one that stands out most is. When Gil is escaping on that boat out, in, out into the Gotham Harbor, and she goes, "No, you don't." Just, it was just flat. <laughs> it, there was no emotion to it, and I don't, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I don't like to criticize acting unless you know I'm writing a review about it or something to that nature. Uh, well, this is just a verbal review, so I guess, I guess it's just. <sighs> Because I, Melissa Gilbert has, has a ridiculously long acting resume, right? From Little House on the Prairie to Batman the Animated Series, you know, just I just didn't like her performance through most of this most of this two part episode. I didn't, uh, and it's a shame because I think she's done great. Maybe it's, I think the one, the one thing that. Hurt the, the her voice acting in this episode. Sorry for my stumbling all over the place. I'm trying to find the words to say here, but is the action sequences. She really was not good in the action sequences. In the normal, you know, where they're like she's in, she's doing the soliloquy while she's laying on in her bed talking to the to Whoopi. Mm-hmm. That's great, you know, when she's talking to her father to Gil. All that stuff is fine, but it's just the action sequences I think that are the ones that suffered. Uh, what do you think? Did you pay attention to that? I didn't really pick up on that. The only thing I noticed about her voice is I felt it was too husky for Barbara Gordon. It's, I don't know, I mean, I mean, she's played her previously. I mean, they didn't change, they changed voice actresses later, correct? I think so. But they don't, but to date, it's always been Gilbert, right? Because we saw her previously in the, uh, the robot episode. Right, I don't. Yeah, that's that's Melissa Gilbert okay. too. Okay, I didn't notice it then, but in this episode, I just felt like Barbara Gordon, her voice was just a little too husky for someone who's supposed to be like a college kid. 
You know, Barbara's only supposed to be like 20-something, real early ba- 20s. Basically Dick Grayson's age, right? Yeah, well... Or thereabouts. It depends. I mean, in the comic books, she's supposed to be a couple years older than Dick, but they've since retconned that out, now they're the same age. But that aside, in here, they are supposed to be roughly the same age, but Barbara might be like still one or two years older. But still, you know, if Dick's... Like, let's say Dick's in college, then you got to peg him at like 18 or 19. So Barbara would be what, 19, 20, 21? I still feel her voice is a little too deep for a woman that, one, that petite, and two, that young. I, I think they could have cast it a little better. I'm not speaking about her skills at all as a voice voice actress. I just would have liked something a little lighter in her voice. That's all. A little, a little more feminine, I guess? I, I think so. I mean, there's times where it comes across as a feminine voice, but just not enough for my liking. You know, I don't want her to be all light and bouncy like Harley. That's not what I want. Right. But I want something that does fall in between. Because you've got one extreme, you know, you've got Pamela Isley, who's always, you know, Poison Ivy always seems like she's kind of doing that whisper thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you listen to her voice, it sounds like she's doing a loud whisper all the time, and it works for her. And then you got Ivy, or excuse me, you got Harley, who's just, she's like champagne. You know, that, <laughs> that's the best way I can describe her voice. It's just full of bubbles. And then you've got Barbara, who's in the middle, but she falls closer to Ivy, and I wish she fell a little closer to Harley, but not real close, just a little closer, like a little off-center towards her, like left of center, we'll say, if Harley's on the left and Pamela's on the right. That's where I wish she fell. It just, she just needs to sound a little more youthful. Mm-hmm. That, that, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Let's see, what else? Um, help me out here. In the scene after the drive-by shooting mm-hmm. in the police station, what the hell was going on in, after when Bullock... You know, he crumples up the paper. What the hell happens after that? I have I look, no I look, idea. Nobody says a word. And Bullock just has this weird look on his face and then just walks away. And Gor- and Barbara the whole time just has a shit-eating grin on her face. I think it's because Har- Harvey got got caught, like, being sexist. Because he says, what's next? Like, wombat woman or something like that? He's a woman. He's a woman, <laughs> yeah. And he pulls the paper down and he sees the commissioner's daughter sitting there and he's like, uh-oh. So I, I think he was being a little sexist. Well, and Renee Montoya was standing behind him too, wasn't right. she? Right, and she, if you remember, she kind of, when Harvey kind of like sulks away and Renee, Renee then walks after him and she kind of looks at Barbara and smiles and kind of giggles silently. I think that's what you're supposed to assume was going on there. I guess. because <laughs> That's something that... I'm only coming up with right now as you ask, because when I watched it, I had the same thought as you. I'm like, what happened here? Every time I've seen this episode, it's always what I thought, what the hell happened? But now as I'm talking it through, I really think he got caught being a little sexist. Well, he is, so. I mean, one, he doesn't like vigilantes, and two, he's like, what's next? You know, so-and-so woman, like, you know, emphasis on woman. That's where I think it might be headed. But Yeah, I suppose so. Um, can, can I bring something up? Because this is like oh, burning inside me, and I just noticed it in my notes, and I'm afraid if I don't get to it, I'm going to overlook it. Oh, go ahead. Okay, there's always that stereotype that Batman and Robin are a little, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, there's something in this episode that you can kind of... There's this, there's this thing on the internet where at a lot of comic book forums where what people do is they'll take a panel from a comic book and they'll post it completely out of context. And it's usually something very sexual. Um, well, that what I'm about to mention is kind of the equivalent of that if you just like played this one scene 
and saw nothing else around it, you'd go, whoa, 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 what happened here? Okay. All that is said. Or all that said, I should say. I know exactly what you're going to say, too, but go ahead. <laughs> when they're in the train? Yes. Okay. 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 When... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I made you lose your train of thought. No, I know what I'm going to say. It's just getting it out is tough. Okay. Bat- How many okays was that? Batman and Robin, they're in the subway. Batgirl has escaped from all the water that's rushing in. They go into... A, a train car, they shut the doors, a little water, of course, got in as they were doing it, but my, a little, I should actually say, it's um, almost up to their chins, I think, yeah. um, it's, it's pretty high, and <clears throat> they're trying to figure out how the hell they're going to get out of this subway, because they're trapped in there, well, <clears throat> Batman, after a little bit, he's looking around, he goes, uh, I've, I've, I've got the notes here. He goes, I've got an idea. And then Batman dives underneath the water. Now, Batman and Robin are standing really close together when this happens. So he says, I've got an idea, and dives underneath the water. All of a sudden, Robin says, it's about time! And it's like, okay, is he going to give him underwater head or something? I mean, is Batman going snorkeling? I mean, of course, if... You know, afterwards, he swims over to the brake, he releases it, and then the, the car and moves and crashes into the wall, and they escape. Okay, I, I, under, I, I know what he was doing, but if you just look at that brief five-second exchange, and you know the history behind Batman and Robin, and the whole connotations that people were bringing to them, that there was supposedly this, this gay relationship... And then Robin's, it's about time, because it's just full of joy. Like, oh, boy, here come my trousers. Like, 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 whoa, dude, like, what is going on? I mean, that is a scene that I know I'm reading into. I know I'm bringing this whole other meaning to it. But by golly, it's, oof, it's, it's crazy. It's just a funny little thing you just have to laugh at. Oh, that's funny. I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I think I kind of thought about that as I was watching it, but I just didn't. I was like, eh. I just didn't bother to write it down. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, had they been further apart, or had Robin not said it's about time, or said it with so much joy, I don't think I would have noticed it. But it's really all on Robin. It's all about Robin's, it's about time! I mean, uh, you know, I'm tempted to use it, you know how at the end of every episode I play a a, a quote, a clip, Mm -hmm. from one of the episodes. I'm tempted to use that one, but it's so visual that yeah. I don't think it would work. I mean, in the last episode, I was hesitant to use... Uh, was it the last episode? No, two episodes back. Pardon me. I was hesitant to use the Killer Croc, I threw a rock at him thing, because there's like a good like 20-second pause. Yeah. He goes, I threw a rock at him, and everybody's just staring at him, and then... You know, Poison Ivy's like, so hard. What they, you know, what happened to the giant penny? You know, I, I, because that's such a sight gag. I almost didn't use that one, but this one is well, all, that, almost, this one's more sight than that one. Well, it helped that you, uh, in the little banner that you put uh, for, on the main page, it was just the four yeah. criminals just with their looks on their face, which is <laughs> it's still one of my favorite scene grasps yeah. ever. It, it's, it's all the Joker. It's all in the Joker in that scene. Um, but oh, Penguin too. The Penguin, I, I mean, all of them. But really, it's the Joker's expression that I think that I think nails it. But maybe I'll do it with this one. Maybe I'll get a screen grab, grab, excuse me, of Batman about to, you know, go underwater, and then I'll still use the clip <laughs> so people can see sort of what I'm talking about. I no, know. you need to have Harley and Ivy in their uh, underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that uh, irked me was in the uh, the uh, drive-by shooting scene. Two things here, actually, and they, they all have, both of them, again, Robin. First off, when he first sees Batgirl, he goes, A girl? 
first off, could you have said that any goofier? And second, could you not tell from the lipstick and the boobs? <laughs> yeah, I know. I uh, know. But then the second thing is, oh, wait, oh man, I guess I didn't write that down. Oh, well, maybe that was the second thing. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the girl and then the how he couldn't tell that it was a woman. Well, while we're on that scene, one of the things that has always kind of irked me about it is that the criminals, Batgirl stops the car. She does a really good, she kind of fumbles, but she still stops the car, you know, and makes it end up, she, she makes it careen out of control and it hits the wall and that fire hydrant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were three guys in the car. There might have been only two, but I thought there were three for some reason. But regardless, two guys get out <clears throat> and Robin, instead of subduing them, goes after quote unquote Batman. Because he's he's more interested in seeing who this imposter Batman is than he is in catching the crooks who just opened fire on a, on a crowd of innocent bystanders. And then he does it again a little later on where he stops Batgirl or he says something to her before he goes after the crooks. And it's like, where are Robin's priorities? Now, I know he is instantly attracted to Batgirl, but, like, dude, you know, crooks first, nookie later. That's the way it has to be, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean... Even Batman gets it right. You know, he doesn't nail Catwoman on the rooftop. He brings her to jail and then maybe does it in the cell. But he makes sure that the crook's caught first. (laughs) But did you notice that, that he's consistently stopping, quote-unquote, Batman and not the crooks? It's like, Robin, 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 come on. You're not a very good apprentice here. (laughs) How about uh, when Wayne is in his matches Malone garb and the guy cocks the shotgun and then (laughs) Harvey flips the coin... He's going to die, but he <laughs> plugs him on the back of the head. And they, they randomly take him to a subway to kill him? Yeah. Like, what? Like, what, what would, why would you do that with this schmuck that just came through your window? You have no idea who he is, you, as much as admitted so. And it's, it's like, like, just blow his fucking head off, leave him in your fucking hideout to rot, and go find a new building. That's all you got to do. It's, it's over. I mean, that is very um, contrived, Might be, I think is the word. Just yeah. Yeah, hitting him with the shotgun and then dragging him to a subway for no good reason. Ow. And then Gil f- actually had a, a moment of sanity where he said, you dragged me all the way down to this <laughs> subway to ID some two-bit thug? Yeah. It's like, oh, he's not a cop. We can kill him now. Well, that re- I mean, they're, they're, they're going to kill Gordon anyways, you know, because remember they bring Gil down to make sure he's not a cop. Isn't that what they were doing? They were trying to make sure Matches wasn't a cop? I thought they well, maybe that was what they were doing because I I know they were saying it doesn't look like anybody I recognize. I thought they were talking about faint, like crooks they've nailed before. I don't know. I, I took it. But to, I think your your explanation probably makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I took it to mean that they thought he was an undercover cop, but it could go either way. But regardless, you know, if if it's a thug, they're going to have no problem killing him. So why are they bringing Gil down there? You know, and then if it's an undercover cop, big freaking deal because we know they're going to try to kill Gordon. So if you're going to kill the top cop, you can kill some detective who just happens to be undercover. Oh, my God. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Just blow his fucking head off in the building and let be done with it. Granted, I don't want to see Batman die, but seriously, that... They wrote themselves into a corner, and they seriously didn't know how to get out of it, and they came up with some kind of crazy way that makes no sense when you actually take a second to think about it. Ugh. That's about all I have. I guess the last thing I want to say about this one is I would have liked to have seen some of Batgirl's training because I know we get that she's a gymnast. We see that earlier. That's fine. But so she can do flips. She can do little things like that. But we see her swinging. 
Now, she, she admits that she has trouble sticking the landing when she's swinging on her grappling hook, but still, she's swinging across skyscrapers and landing on a moving vehicle. That's no small feat. A oh. gymnast couldn't do that. I'm sorry. I Maybe it's because I've read Batgirl Year One, and I've I've had the privilege of seeing you know her training and how she came to be and all this and that, and that's why I want it. But I, I really think it just boils down to the fact that it just doesn't make sense that this you know, normal, everyday girl who just happens to be a really good gymnast can now all of a sudden swing from rooftop to, roo- to rooftop and land on top of a moving vehicle. Again, I'm going to say she had trouble sticking the landing, but she's still swinging from building to building. Yeah. You can't do that just because you saw Batman do it. <laughs> well, why not? The Clock King did it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, my friend. Okay, and our final episode today is Blind as a Bat. In this episode, Wayne Tech has developed a new uh, army helicopter that can basically hide and hide itself with its like advanced cloaking and radar uh, capabilities. And the penguin ends up stealing it from a uh, presentation show for the. They were going to give it. They were going to give it to the military, right? Yep. And you know, Bruce is having his doubts because you know he doesn't like to develop weapons. Uh, why did he fucking fund it? Oh my god! <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I don't mean, okay. to, I don't, I don't mean we'll to interrupt your synopsis, but oh my god! Yeah, I know. Major OMG moment right mm-hmm. there. But we'll get to that shortly. So anyway, Penguin and his goons uh, hijack and steal it, and in the chaos, as they're shooting all over the place during in the airfield, uh, an explosion happens right in front of. Uh, Bruce's face, which causes his retinas to be uh, burned somewhat, and he basically gets flash burned, so he, he's blind for, you know, about three or four days. I think that's how it, how it went. Yeah. And he has, he, you know, he gets Leslie Tompkins to look at him, and she gives him strict instructions to not, not open your eyes, not do anything, basically, for three or four days. And, of course, Bruce, being who he is, can't do that, so he has to go off and find Penguin... Blind as a bat. So that's about it. Yep. I think we already have hinted as to how we feel about this episode. But, so why don't you expound upon that? You know, it's it's like, okay, they, I mean, at least they throw in a line with Bruce saying, I'm not sure I like the fact that we're develop, developing weapons. Okay, fine. You said it. It's out there. But that still doesn't justify it being there at all. I mean... Wayne Tech developing for the military, non-lethal weapons for the military, I could buy. But this thing has like, you know, eight guns on it. It's and like, missiles and yeah, not counting lasers and, and lasers and it's all. Oh my god! I mean, this is Stark. This is Stark Enterprises kind of stuff here. Exactly. Exactly. If this were an Iron Man cartoon, and you know what, you could actually swap out Bruce Wayne for Tony Stark in this episode, and it would be an Iron Man episode very easily. With Tony inventing a new helmet or a new optic system that jacks into his brain that allows him to see if he ever suffers any sort of uh, uh, damage to his vision. Hey, that would be an awesome Iron Man episode. As a Batman episode, not so much. Because, again, the beginning sets up like this big flaw in, 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 in the logic of the universe. And because of that, I have trouble buying what happens in the rest of the episode. 
It's like there shouldn't have been a Wayne Tech helicopter like this to begin with. Just full stop, it's over. That's it. Yeah. And then right from the very moment that he is blinded, I just cringe because when Alfred arrives in the limo and he goes, because I don't want the world to know that I can't see. God, shoot me now. Oh, I love Kevin Conroy. He is a brilliant voice actor, but that was that was horrible. Yeah, that, that's that's a bit over the top, we'll say. Just a bit. It, it harkened back to uh, I Am the Night. Yeah. But getting back to that explosion, that's a really nice explosion. Oh, yeah, it definitely I, I mean, I mean, Bruce standing right there and then just boom, he's just blown back. And we have to go back to Harley and Ivy. The explosions in that one at the end and the toxic waste dump is going up because the Joker got a little gun crazy. Those were some nice explosions, too. So, sorry, I didn't mean to go back to that episode, but that needed to be said. Now, getting back to the fact that this should have been an Iron Man episode and not a Batman episode, <laughs> to, to, to further my point with that, I don't understand why the Penguin was involved at all. This seems like it should have been, again, going back to Iron Man, that it should have been some, like, one of Iron Man's, like, corporate rivals that had some goon steal the helicopter for him and torment him with it or something like that. But the Penguin, his crimes are normally a little more high class. I don't understand him him stealing and then trying to ransom off a high-tech helicopter? Well, because it flies and he's a bird-themed villain? It somehow makes sense in their mind? I mean... I really think they should have invented a whole new character for this episode. Because you can't it doesn't work with Two Face. It I mean it could work for the Joker if you were gonna make it a comedy episode, but this isn't meant to be a comedy episode. Oh no. <laughs> it, it doesn't work with uh Ivy, it doesn't work with Killer Croc, it definitely doesn't work with Clayface. So you almost have to create a whole new villain for this. Or bring back the Red Claw. There is a villain that they could have used this one for. I mean, here's an international terrorist stealing a military weapon. Hello, that kind of works. Yeah, because that's kind of what she did in the first episode she appeared in. Right, and I should correct myself. I believe when we first spoke of her, we said she doesn't come back, but I was looking at one of the DVD cases, and it looks like she comes back. Remember, we were going on and on and on about how she doesn't come back? I don't remember. I don't remember the episode, though. I know. I can't remember which one it is either, but she's on a later DVD case, so I have to assume she comes back. But anyways, she would have worked here. The Penguin, I don't get it. It's like, it's almost like they had the story, but they didn't know who the villain was going to be. And they just said, well, the Penguin kind of works. Let's go with him. That, that Again, that's another thing that bothers me with this one. It's, you could have... It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the Penguin's M.O. Everything just seems thrown together. Pretty it's much just, so it does, doesn't it? It, it? I mean, how much fucking ammo does that helicopter <laughs> have? They, There's no way the Penguin has the ammo for that thing no. to refill it. But it, every scene you see him blasting a bridge and then uh, a warehouse and a, a, like an airfield with the, where the Batwing is flying around. and It's just... <laughs> and then... Why was Bruce in a full suit and tie when Leslie was removing his bandages at the end of the episode? <laughs> I don't know. Because he wanted to look so many... dapper when he caught that newspaper. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. This this whole episode is just... just it's stupid. I mean... <laughs> because it, It's just because right from the get-go, nothing, nothing really makes sense. I, Bruce Wayne's developing weapons. Uh, strike one. Mm-hmm. The Penguin is stealing this military weapon. Uh, strike two. 
and then all you throw in all the other miscellaneous inanities, and that's that can add up to strike three. I'll give you strike four for God's sakes. If Batman's on the sidelines and he's not supposed to be doing anything, why not just call Robin? Do you not trust your sidekick enough to go solve this problem for you? Just rest up your eyes, dude. Take Leslie's advice. It would have been so great to get just the Robin solo episode. And hey, he's a bird, so it kind of fits the penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here screaming at my TV, and I'm no joke. I really did say call Robin while I'm watching this. Like, just, you're you're hurt. Just sit there and call your freaking partner. It doesn't matter if he's in the middle of a midterm. you got to go save the city. Give the kid a call. Oh. It's like, why, why else are you going to have Robin in your arsenal if you're not going to call him from time to time when, you, you know, you can't go out to save the city? Like, come yeah. on. Oh, there's no logic. I mean, he saved your ass in Night of the Ninja, so. Yeah, he, he can do it again. Clearly can do things by himself. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna rag on the episode, I should say some things I liked about this one. I thought the animation was good. I, I do you disagree with that? You kind of. I thought it was okay. What, not, what nothing I, really spectacular, but not bad. What I liked about it specifically was the first person shots when Bruce has that VR helmet on. Not VR. What's it called? VZ? No. VZM. VZM or VZA? Something. something it's like, like that. Oh, shoot. I forget forget what that stood for. But when he's got the helmet on, I like those first-person shots because everything was red, but then you could see the outline of a person, but you couldn't see their features. Everybody was in shadow right on the front. I thought that was Mm kind of cool and kind of creepy. And then I also liked when the penguin was on the helicopter and uh, or not on but in the helicopter and he was talking to the one of the goons the one who was piling it and the goons like they're, they're about to get their hundred or they think they're about to get their hundred hundred million dollar ransom and the goon says something like uh well what if it's a trap boss and the 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 penguin he pops out the knife on his umbrella and he cuts all the buttons off one at a time on the guy's shirt and he's like then they'll get exactly what they deserve or whatever he says and it's this really cool harsh moment where you actually get to see the penguin as somewhat of a badass. Oftentimes I call into question how badass of a villain he can be. I mean, remember the first time, I think it was the first time we see him, he's getting taken down by little kids. Yeah. So right there, that's setting up the fact that he's not that badass of a villain. But here, I mean, he's like, really, I mean, he's gone to great lengths to steal this helicopter, whether I think it should have been his character or not that did it is not relevant to this. He still went to great lengths to do that, and then he's sitting here cutting his his goon shirt open to demonstrate how skillful he is with that very sharp knife. So I liked that aspect of it as well. And then, you know, the the when they first steal the helicopter, he says, "Oh, would you have a problem with pigeons?" Yeah. And then he just like holds the knife up to his throat. Yeah, I mean, it's like no, boss, not at all. <laughs> the penguin's definitely brutal in this episode. I mean. At the end, when he and Batman are fighting, he's constantly trying to stab him and stuff. I mean, no, I, I think they did a good job with the Penguin in this one. It just shouldn't have been the Penguin. I don't know how much more I have about this one, but two things about that helmet. One, how did the battery drain so quickly? Yeah, it was just plugged into the Batwing. Yeah, and then, okay, the Batwing, the Batwing gets shot, and it's going down. I understand that, but wasn't it, like, receiving a charge or something? It had to have been. I mean, okay... That that kind of irked me. And then, how did it continue to work once it was unplugged from the Batwing? Well, I guess that might contradict itself, because it, maybe it could store a charge. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think 
Leslie said, it has to be continuously charged. So that, made, that led me to believe there's a battery in it somewhere. Yeah, I wasn't thinking. Because remember, when he first puts it on, he does plug it into his belt. Mm-hmm. And then he plugs it in the... But see, the thing is, though, as soon as he unplugs it from his belt and goes to plug it in the Batwing, it shuts off. Because if you think about it, he unplugs it from his belt, and then he has to feel for the jack when he plugs it into the Batwing. Mm-hmm. So clearly there was a couple of seconds where it got shut off. So when it got when the Batwing got shot down and the cord broke, it shouldn't have still had a charge. It shouldn't have worked at all, actually, now that I think about it. So I know oh. what I'm saying now contradicts what I said before, but that's what I'm going to go with here. I don't well, think the, thing, the helmet that... should have held a charge at all. I think the second that cable broke, he should have been, to use the title here, blind as a bat right there, and it shouldn't have been cutting in and out once the cable broke. So, yeah. I don't know. This It's so convoluted, it's hard to figure out. Yeah. Is there a battery? Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. It, you, the fact that you were you know, there trying to explain it all and couldn't quite explain it, but then you thought of something else. That's that's just how confusing it was. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I knew I was contradicting myself when I was doing it, but as you said, it's because the whole damn episode is, is way too confusing. Uh, but anyways, you want to go back and score these ones? Sure. Harley and Ivy? Let's see. What did I give Harley? I gave that one an 8. I also gave that one an 8. I thought you'd score that one a little low- lower. Not like a 5 or anything, but I thought you'd give that one a 7 or something. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Shadow of the Bat? This was one that I purposely did not grade until uh, we started discussing this because there were so many things about it that made it mediocre, but then there were some really good parts. So I I think I, I'm going to give it a 6.5. I'm going to give this one a 7. Um, again, I think the first half is much better than the second half. Um, and there's a lot of things that don't make sense, such as what we spoke about with matches. Why didn't they just blow his freaking head off? Mm-hmm. Um, and something I didn't even bring up in the episode is why, or excuse me, I should say something I didn't even bring up while we were discussing the episode is why did Two-Face have that subway station rigged to explode anyways? Yeah. It's like, that always irks me about villains. Oh, we might get caught one day, so let's have a self-destruct button. What? Oh, I hate that. I hate that cliche so much. But overall, I I think it's a good episode, but it could have been so much better, it being the introduction of Batgirl. So it it gets a 7, which is a respectable score, but I would have liked to have given that one an 8 or even higher. So then, blind as a bat. Uh, Four. I'm right there with you. A four. Nice work, Butterfingers. Why didn't you just turn on the bat signal while you were at it? I wasn't trying to get caught. Could have fooled me. Hey, aren't you that plant lady, Poison Oaky? Ivy. Poison Ivy. Sorry. Holly Quinn, pleased to meet ya. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being The Demon's Quest, His Silicon Soul, Fire from Olympus, Read My Lips, and The Worry Man. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.